It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Well, g'day, listeners, and welcome to the Two Jacks Combined. That's uh, Jack, uh, the insider, my good self, and uh, Hong Kong Jack. Uh, we're going around the world, and then we're going to Australia. Uh, that's what we call it, the Combo Show. Jack, how are you today? Good, mate. Enjoying some unaccustomed good weather in Hong Kong. It's not something we have a lot of, to be fair. It gets pretty uh, cool there now this time of year, doesn't it? Yeah, but sometimes we get a bit of a spring and an autumn where it's just really pleasant. Um, sometimes you go from turning the air, con- air con off one weekend and turning the heater on the next, but this has been pretty nice. Yeah, we uh, we had a, actually an almost a dry weekend um, uh, here in in the Southern Highlands, and uh, got out and uh, toiled away in the fields, got everything nice and neat, and uh, and then she came down. We had about an inch of rain last night, and there are storm warnings all over Eastern Australia, as there have been for much of the last six months. They tell us La Nina is over at the very end of its cycle, anyway. Uh, so we're expecting something of a decent summer. I hope so. Uh, we did have some. We did have some warmth for uh, the first time in a long time. Now we can't uh, go any further, Jack, without talking about the U.S. midterms. I am happy to say, well, happy to volunteer, that I got things a bit wrong. Uh, I thought the Senate was in play definitely, and I thought the House. I don't know that I actually. Um, I don't know that I actually uh, put a figure on it, but I my view was that, that the Republicans would take the House by about 25, with a majority of about 25 seats. Well, you weren't as wrong as me, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying, Jack, you know, the, the, the pundit the pundit licence, you might have to hand that in. Oh, no. <laughs> so, no the, good, so the, good, the good thing about the pundit licence is that you just memory hold all that. Well, <laughs> this is, this is a, a point that I've made. Uh, many, many times that commentators uh, uh, don't have to be right, uh, they have to be certain. And uh, so what went wrong, Jack? I mean, basically, a lot went wrong. We, we, the, the Dems have got, in, in terms of predictions, I mean, you weren't as bad as Newt Gingrich. Newt Gingrich thought uh, uh, the uh, Senate spot in New Hampshire was up up in play, and uh, I think she, the, uh, the the incumbent Democrat senator, won by about uh, thirteen points there. Well, just, um, just to give the boring, points, I should say. just to give the boring numbers for a bit. At the moment, I think the figures, the accurate figures, are the the Senate is fifty Democrats, forty nine Republicans, and one in play. Um, and uh, as of this morning, I think the House is two hundred and twelve Republican, two hundred and four Democrats. That leaves twenty to go. Um, and to get to a majority, the Republicans need um, uh, six more to get to 218. So it's still likely to be a narrow majority in the House to the Republicans and a, a Democrat Senate. Yeah, it does look that, that that's quite likely. I, I, look, if we can break those 20 seats into two parcels of 10, uh, the the ones that are really going to be very, very tight, the, the Republicans are likely to win six of those. Uh, and and the Democrats four, but that could flip. Um, there's a lot of modelling suggesting Democrats two nineteen, uh, and and uh, and some modelling suggesting uh, the Republicans can only get to about two eighteen at this stage. So um, 
even if you've got a majority of two eighteen, you've got a you've got to appoint a speaker. That'll be McCarthy, um, and then you've got you've got you know the whips will be the whips will be cracking, so so to speak, because they'll have to basically herd cats in in the most yeah. narrow of majorities. Doesn't matter um, who wins; it's going to be a narrow narrow uh, win. So that's yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So all of this all this stuff. That, that we would that we've been talking about for a long time. Let's start with Biden's unpopularity. His approval ratings are around about forty percent at the moment. That means that at least ten percent of people who who did not approve of the way he was doing his job have voted Democrat. Oh, it's worse than that. Um, in the, on the exit polls, a hell of a lot of people who a much bigger figure than that who don't think Joe Biden should be a candidate in twenty twenty four and wouldn't vote for him in twenty twenty four wouldn't vote for Republic, Republican system around. Yeah, that's the thing. And and so, I mean, look, I, I would query all of that sort of stuff. I would query exit polls anyway. One of the exit polls that I looked at had three in ten people voting on the abortion issue, and that was the same as cost of living slash inflation. Yeah, I've, um, I've, well, I've seen exit polls doing that either end of that that spectrum of abortion being quite unimportant to very important and inflation being that yeah. the only thing that mattered to not that important. So okay, let's that's start. With, let's start with the big losers were polling companies. They were out again. They were out by considerable margins in some places up to double double digits. They fought um, the last war in part, though. One of the things they adjusted for in this in their polling for this election was that they were out by about four percent in a lot of places on overstating the Democrat vote last time. So this time they baked that into the process and they got it wrong again. Yeah, so not all, always. Not always. They, they didn't always adjust 4% to the Republicans. There were, there were polling where they adjusted Democrats on on, 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 uh, on the basis of uh, turnout. But, look, what we have now is uh, 2018, uh, big, big turnout in 2018. It won't be as big a voter turnout as it was in 2018. Um, but you did have certain swing states in, in Florida. We can probably almost stop calling Florida a swing state now. Uh, about 50% turnout. That's pretty high. Um, and in places like Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, you had turnout around about 60%. And this is much, much higher than, 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 than is normal. And when we go pre-2018, I mean, it's really stunning. And and what people, what, what the assumption is that if Trump is on the ticket or not, uh, or if he just casts a shadow over the ballot, he is dragging a lot of people out to vote. Uh, independent voters, uh, those that are not party aligned, um, uh, independent voters voted in favour of the Democrats. And there is a profound anti-Trump sentiment uh, at, at play here. Um, Absolutely, and 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 a lot of it is based on the, I I believe is based on the you know the 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 electoral fraud nonsense that people are sick and tired of listening to. Oh, I think it's almost all based on. It's not based on what Trump did as president between his election and the election in twenty twenty. It's almost all based on what he did from post election twenty twenty until the inauguration. Okay, so so he so he won in twenty sixteen, um, <coughs> and and he won fair and square. Uh, in twenty eighteen, he dropped twenty seats in the house, uh, and and in twenty twenty, he lost the White House. Uh, they did the Republicans did do better in the house uh, in twenty twenty down ballot, uh, down ticket, 
Uh, and then 2021, they lost the two Senate runoffs in Georgia. Uh, then in, now we are at 2022. So he's on a terrible strike rate here. He, he's, he, he lost the, the, the Georgia runoffs because of what he did post the election in 2020. And now, and now, according to all reports, he's uh, he's been a number of Republican strategists have sort of hoped that he would not announce his candidacy for blurring the lines even further in Georgia, as they go into runoff on December six. Um, but um, but uh, that he that he's going to announce his candidacy within the next couple of days. It's possible, isn't it? It um, is still uh, possible. Yeah, I, I noticed that um, some of the formerly reasonably strong Trump supporters, although not blind Trump supporters, uh, are walking back. Laura Ingram um, is on the radio over there, um, was cautious about who should be the nominee in 2024. Um, and a, a guy called Don Serber, who I read a lot of, mainly because he writes like an old-fashioned reporter, so he writes in short sentences that make sense. Um, uh, but this was his take on it. Dr. Oz showed how it went with Trump. And that's how poisonous he has become in purple America. That's the America that's neither um, red Republican or blue Democrat. We, his fans, see the good in him and the evil in his enemies, but the majority doesn't and never will. It is a sale that cannot be made. And I think that's a pretty accurate um, uh, Well, he's gone assessment. on. There will be no second term from the Donald. Yeah. Well, there simply can't be. I mean, when we look at approval ratings, and look, we probably should be ignoring a lot of polling and a, and a lot mm. of approval rating stuff, but but he is he is well behind Biden. Um, he's, he's well behind DeSantis as well. He's well know, behind he, DeSantis. And, and, and so that DeSantis is rather stunning victory in Florida, predictable perhaps, but not by almost 20 points. I think I wrote well, my uh, column that well, was uh, around well, Jack, 15. I thought, but, I thought he'd win, but not by the length of the straight. He did have a very comfortable, a very comfortable victory, and, and, he, and, and, and he won. He won districts like Miami Dade. Miami Dade. Yeah, the, the, first time in in two decades that Miami yeah. Dade County uh, uh, went red instead of blue. So this is a fairly stunning victory for for DeSantis, and it does promote his uh, presidential uh, credentials in in a primary. But let's look at the Republican vote and try and enumerate where where that is. Now, I think there's probably, I was reading a column today that, that suggests it's about 10% are never Trumpers uh, of that Republican vote and somewhere like 40% have rusted on Trump voters and with 50% making up the difference um, that, that would vote for any, any decent Republican candidate, including Trump. So you've got 40% of their vote. Let's, bring, let's go to 2024 um, and and go into a primary sort of sort of imaginary primary. What happens if if Trump gets rolled in a primary? Does that forty percent of rusted ons? I mean, I can't imagine that they will stay home in November twenty twenty four. That they will come out and cast a ballot. Many of them will cast out and come out and cast a ballot for, let's say, Ron DeSantis. But there's a real problem with the GOP, isn't there? They could split over this, and that's that's what that's what what great great care needs to be taken on how they uh, and how they approached a, a Trump candidacy, if that is indeed what yeah. happens. Uh, Dave Chappelle, who lives in a place called Yellow Springs, a little village in um, uh, in Ohio, not far from Dayton, between Dayton and Columbus, um, he says, "I live amongst the the white Trump supporters." This is Dave Chappelle, the black comedian. Yeah. Um, and he says, he said this at the weekend, they love him. Um, they've never met anyone like him. He's an honest liar. 
yeah. Look, but what I'm saying is, going forward, they need to, and I suggested in a column that I wrote on Friday, they need a damn good exorcist to get him out of the party. Um, well, that, because- well that, that's all to play, isn't it? No, no one – it's, it's absolutely – Blind speculation as to see how the next two years of Republican politics. Oh, it's going to definitely play out. going to be blind speculation, but they can't. I mean, they're not going. To, the Republicans are going to have to drop him because he's. It's not because he's capricious. Not because he's an election truther. Not because he, he's a very strange unit, uh, but because he's an election loser, and and he's, yeah, yeah. he's lost four out of the last five. Um, and so, so that's they have to cleanse the party of that without going through what could be a very damaging split. And and don't don't misunderstand how serious this is. If Trump has to take his bat and ball and go home, he will he will blow the thing up if he gets half a chance. Yeah, may well do. Of course, the Democrats have got some problems too. I mean, this was a good result on the face of it for the Democrats, but is it? What it does is locks them in behind Biden. Um, and, and Biden's a losing, uh, against anyone else but Trump, I think Biden's a losing candidate. They can't go with Kamala Harris because she's unelectable. And they've got a problem with, they've got a problem with their losing votes from their formerly strong ethnic minorities. They're losing votes in blacks, Hispanics, um, uh, well, Asians. Um, well, let's, so- let's have a look. It's, they're not, they're not, they're, clearly they're not losing votes on the midterms, Jack. They're clearly not losing the votes on the midterms, whether by ethnic divide or, or or not. But basically, when we look at that immigration... They are losing votes within those groups. When we look at the immigration issue that you've been talking about a long time, no change in California, no change in Nevada, uh, Arizona gubernatorial election still to be counted, but with the Democrat incumbent in front. Um, <coughs> Greg Abbott won Texas... But along the Rio Grande, along the districts in the Rio Grande, Beto O'Rourke won them. So I, I'm, I'm no, not, sorry, just Beto, not seeing... Beto, Beto O'Rourke didn't win. Hasn't Beto won O'Rourke won the districts along the border. Yeah. So, so, so what I'm saying is that immigration issue didn't did not surface. The crime it, issue did not surface. The, the the cost of living issue, yes, may have been a, a strong uh, may have been a strong vote uh, 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 determinant, but not as strong as some of the other issues. And that was uh, confidence in the in in the Republican Party as it goes forward with the with the shadow of this ogre hanging over it. Yeah, I agree with that, but I still think the Democrats have that problem. They are losing, they are becoming the party of the college educated, and there are never enough of them. We looked at some government, we looked at some uh, gubernatorial battles. Oregon, you thought, was in play. The the incumbent, the Democrat incumbent, won that by three points. They flipped Maryland. Uh, and uh, New York, well, they gave up counting that about halfway through. Uh, well, they counted it, but but they called it very very early there in New York, and uh, and and I suggested there was really would be very very strange indeed. A lot a lot of the down ballot stuff has flipped uh, has flipped uh, um, uh, state legislatures and state uh, positions of authority to the Democrats as well. Um, they did the House Democrats did badly in New York. No, I'm talking about down ballots by yeah. state. I'm talking about down ballot tickets in in the states, in 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 the fifty states where a lot of these election truthers were rolled, uh, and, uh, and and basically Democrats are well and truly in place. Wherever and the electoral truthers ran, they did badly. I agree with that. 
Um, but I don't think I don't think this is all good news for Democrats either. Well, it, it, it's I see what you're saying in that it's not good news in in, in terms of it uh, just being a, a, a now that now they have to own this victory and it is a victory. There's no doubt about that um, that they have to own this victory and they'll they'll move forward. They may well take the House. They certainly have the Senate, regardless of the result in Georgia. I mean, this is contrary to everything that pundits were saying uh, going in, including yourself, that we were going into the election. We, we, we did talk down the red tsunami. The red tsunami, well, look, uh, Donald Trump Jr., he tweeted up bloodbath, which was eerily prescient, but, uh, but not, the right, well, not the way he was thinking of it. Pundits have been saying that, there was, that this was going to be a reaction, that, that, and, the, and the circumstances were, were, that were in play really did favour a red a red wave, but it didn't eventuate. And there's got to be a reason for that. And, and I'd suggest to you the first thing is high voter turnout in swing states, which is something the Republicans do not want. And secondly, a, a, a profound <laughs> loss of confidence in the Republican Party while Trump remains in it. Well, undoubtedly, Trump's a huge factor. The other interesting group, if you look at, if you, if you, if you carve it up, the other interesting group is the youth vote went, uh, the under 30 vote went 63% Democrat. Yeah. Now, this is something we talked about in regard to student debt, uh, forgiveness, those sorts of things. Whether that was the main driver or not, I just don't know. Um, what's well, the that very won't hold because I, I doubt the student debt, the student debt loan um, amnesty when it won't survive the constitutional challenge, I don't think. Well, it, it, it may or may not, but, but but basically, voter sentiment you would yeah. you would imagine won't change. But, so but if they don't, but if they the don't Republicans get the debt relief, they won't, the Repu- they won't vote for it. You might say that Joe Biden might have a little bit of a problem. You know, forty percent or fifty odd percent of people don't think he's doing much of a job. But of those, and of those, a good twenty percent of them are still voting blue. Mm. So it's not voting for Joe. That's that's the problem. Well, that, that that might be an issue, but if they're, if they're stuck with Joe as the presidential candidate and the Republicans, well, I don't think you can say that, Jack. I, I really if, think that is just hollow punditry. That I really don't think you can say that. When Biden was highly active in 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 the campaign, in you know he he was everywhere. He was in Pennsylvania, and so was Barack Obama. So were the Clintons. I mean, the the, the what happened in Pennsylvania is quite stunning. Not just that. Uh, that uh, Fetterman was able to flip the Senate there, which is a staggering achievement given uh, given that he suffered a stroke mid-campaign. But they threw up a clown, the Republicans threw up a clown campaign, heavily endorsed by Trump, who's since walked it back blaming his wife. Um, <coughs> and, and, and when you look at all the down ballot stuff that's happened in Pennsylvania, it, just, it basically turned a swing state. We sort of, we sort of said that, uh, well, I've said that Florida is more or less a red state now. Pennsylvania is more or less turned blue. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, well, anyway, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, they're, well, they're both they're both got some like always. I, 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 in just politics. Don't, I just don't. I honestly don't think you can say that 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 Joe Biden, who's 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 uh, only two years ago won a stunning victory in the, to to take the White House, is some sort of and now has gone through a midterm without the without having the historical baggage of a of a swing against him and a swing in the Congress against him. Um, he has, you know, you would say that right now he's a bit of an electoral magician. Uh, I would put, 
I would put it this way. Both parties are going to come out of this about even, which is a win for the Democrats, a big win for the Democrats. Um, I don't think that Biden can beat anybody else. Apart. He would be, he'll beat Trump if Trump's the candidate. Well, I um, suggest just about anybody can beat Trump. I mean, yeah, I, that's you probably could, right. You could you could um, put a you could put a blue suit and a tie and an empty chair and and and, and probably and, and that's right. Trump. I just don't think Trump can beat anybody. I don't think Biden will beat um, anywhere anybody competent. And if Trump's not the poison in the party any longer by twenty twenty four, yeah. But in order to do that. They're yeah, going to have huge problems. They're going to have huge problems in, in in trying to get that base because if even ten percent of that of the Trump rustedons don't turn up in November in twenty twenty four, the Republicans can't win. It depends what they replace Trump with. Anyway, that's all to play out. All right, uh, Twitter's blue check system. What's going on there, Jack? I haven't got a blue check, and I'm not interested in buying one. Eight dollars for self-importance seems like uh, eight dollars a month or thirteen bucks Australian seems like a bit a bit excessive for mine. Oh, I never estimate people's keenness to get a bit of self-importance. Oh, they're virtually none. You go you go through throw a, go through your your Twitter feed at the moment. There's virtually no blue ticks. Yeah, how did you get a blue tick in the past? I can never work this out. Well, if you were verified. If you had enough followers for them to bother to look into you and, and find that you were verified, that you were the person you said that you were, pretty much that's, that's as I understand it. So a journalist, mainly? Uh, no, basically, you've got government departments, you've got politicians, you've got people who can be verified. So Elon, as I understand it, if you just say... Oh, I'm President Joe Biden, and I'm paying 13 bucks a month. You can get a blue tick as Joe Biden. Oh, I don't think you can do that. No, no, you, it's you, not, no, that's, no, that's not quite right. Because but, you can't pretend there, to be anybody else. Those things will arise, certainly yeah. under this yeah. system. Those, I mean, no, perhaps not someone as, like Joe Biden, but someone might turn up to be Jack Jack Hoisted and uh, and get a blue tick there, Jack. God, we, one more of them. We couldn't stand that. <laughs> no, and then pretend to be you. And they're paying thirteen dollars, and you'd have to you'd have to rail to Elon, who's not listening because you don't have a blue tick. Yeah, I, I remember sending a, an email to George Mega, um, your pal George Mega, about something or other, and of course. My Twitter handle has the name, well, my Twitter handle, my uh, email address has the name on it. And he immediately wrote back thinking it was you. <laughs> yeah, well, well look, I, I, I just don't, look, I just don't see this thing working as a revenue driver. Um, <coughs> advertising's running out um, because there are genuine concerns about content moderation on Twitter. I've noticed it to be. Very little change, personally. Very little change. Looks much the same to me. I've got to say as well. Yeah, but advertisers are holding their money, and and as I, as I said, uh, made the point before, um, Twitter's not a great forum for advertising compared with Instagram. That's got lovely graphics and all that sort of stuff. Facebook, um, uh, and so it's not a great forum for advertisers anyway. So they could happily junk Twitter some big time advertisers because they're concerned about the sort of content that might arise. And now um, Mr. Free, Mr. Free Speech uh, <coughs> is, uh, is now saying that, they're, oh, by gee, there'll be some content moderation. Uh, and so it's all very funny. Um, and I do love the story about how they handed out all those pink slips last week and then said, oh, some of these, some of these people we didn't mean to sack, so it would be nice if you came back. And the other ones, well, we do actually, turns out we do actually need you. Yeah. Um, Dog's breakfast. <laughs> and he's making them pay for lunch now. They're not happy about that. 
Oh well, uh, <laughs> people aren't going to be happy if, if 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 they've got conditions related to their employment that are withdrawn from them. Mm. I mean, people aren't just people aren't going to be happy regardless of circumstances. But this has the dog's breakfast feel about it, and uh, well, we'll just see how how long uh, how long uh, the advertisers stay away because that is you know that's the basis of their revenue. And this blue check system, well, who knows. Who, who knows if that's going to work? I, I doubt that it would. I, I, I saw he uh, he had a bit of a a bit of a go at uh, AOC, or they had a bit of a, um, a bit of a clash. Uh, the uh, New York Congresswoman and uh, and uh, she said, "Well, I'm not going to pay for it. I'm not going to pay for a blue." He went, "Okay, fine. I'm not going to pay thirteen bucks. I'm not going to pay thirteen bucks for you." He, the argument is, Jack, that this is social media, and you're actually contributing content. You see, that's the difference here. It's not like a newspaper sub where you buy um, uh, content to to consume. With uh, with Twitter, you, the people who, who who are on it are providing content. They're the ones providing the content, and if they walk away, the content suffers, the numbers suffers, the advertisers walk away too. Hmm. Well, I think there's a rethink going on in all the social media platforms. Um, they're all. Um, suffering a financial hiccup of one kind or another, and they're all looking to shed staff. Um, how much of Musk's own money and whoever whoever else his supporters, whether they're from Saudi or anywhere else, are prepared to burn, I don't know, but it's entirely a matter for him. I'm always suspicious. I notice he's now the sole director of, uh, of Twitter. I'm always suspicious when people have a board of one with themselves just sitting there. I always think you need someone around you. Yeah, problem. yeah well, I think part of Elon's problems going forward, Jack, is that probably not for the last 20 years anyone said, uh, Elon, are you sure this is a good idea? Yeah, well, I think he's that kind of character. He says he's on the spectrum and all that sort of stuff. So, um, uh, so yeah, that's it's his money. Yeah, look, it, it, well, it, it is partly his money. Uh, uh, we'll wait and see. Not much change on Twitter. I'd have to say, not much change on Twitter. There is a verified button, not a button, but uh, your mentions, in your mentions, Jack, you might see that there are, oh, let me see now, uh, that you'll see, um, oh, it doesn't come up on TweetDeck, which is a bit of an engineering problem that they might have. Um, but uh, on my uh, on my Twitter phone thing, it, it comes up with, there'll be verified people who've mentioned you. Uh, and then there are unverified people who've mentioned you and that sort of stuff. So, so there are a few little changes, but it, but in terms of the tone and content of Twitter, I just don't see too much change at all. And all the people who are moving to Canada um, haven't moved to Canada. As yeah, a lot, of, a lot of a lot of people were moaning that they that they lost followers. I don't know if you saw any of that, but that's because Twitter routinely um, pull out bots from, mm. and, and, and you'll find. You'll find bots. You might have found a few in your time too, Jack. There'll be these lovely young girls who come into your DMs and go, hello, how's the weather there? Or something equally silly. And uh, and you go, oh, she's, she looks nice. I'll better follow her. <laughs> um, I, I, I get these on LinkedIn, um, uh, very comely um, young Asian persons who want to, who want to link to me on, on LinkedIn all the time. Yeah, that's a pretty good sign that you've been botted. And uh, Twitter mm. do... Twitter too. Uh, I've, as, ma- I've as managed to resist all such applications. So far. <laughs> I remember the first one I got years ago in Twitter for God knows too long, twelve years I think, and um, 
And I remember the first one going, oh, that's really, really odd. I've since done a lot of reading about where these things are generated from, and you'll you'll find that they've got absolutely no content, that they they might say, I'm just going to go down to the mall to uh, catch up with, you know, know, with her comely friends. and then, and then all of a sudden, you know, and, that, and that, that'll sit there as content. And then for three months, bang! Then they'll start putting out, "Hey, isn't isn't Dan Andrews a terrible human being?" Um, that sort of stuff. So, so you know, uh, we do know that Scott Morrison's PMO was spending ten million dollars a year on this sort of uh, stuff, Jack. One of the things I find a little bit sad about Twitter is I, I know you're not allowed to to read Mike Carlton's stuff. Um, but if Mike Carlton makes one of his, he's regularly blocking people and and criticizing. I love this. He's always criticizing other, criticizing other people for being bile filled and angry, which is uh, inherently amusing. Um, yeah. uh, and, and whenever he does, yeah, whenever he does that, um, uh, there's a whole lot of people, his followers, who jump on. Um, and they're only just in the reading and writing Australian community. Um, uh, their, 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 their grammar's not very good. But they come on and say, oh, yeah, we agree with that. And I think, well, your, your life would have to be sad that if you're sitting at home waiting for Mark Carlton to tweet something so you can jump on and back him up. Yeah, I think that's my point about Twitter, Jack. And if we're, we're looking at good news and bad news, if, if the thing died... I guarantee you I wouldn't miss my Carlton's music. I, I miss them now. I mean, I, that is that I don't see them. Mm. Um, Peter Fitz. Well, I find, them, I, find the, I find them both entertaining, you know, um, but, um, but then, but then I'm, I'm not sadly sitting at home tweeting in support of them either. Yeah, I, 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 there there'll be lots of things that I would not miss if Twitter did die, uh, mm. and that would be one. Um, yeah, we're looking at a long long list of uh, uh, what we might call micro-blogging um, social networks that are really, really struggling at the moment. Mm. You mentioned Facebook too, which is not a micro-blog, of course, but but um, uh, that was because the Zuck, the Zuck said, hey, happy days are, are here again. Um, we had a, a massive boost in advertising revenue in 2020 and 2021. Surely that will keep going. Mm. Um, and there's another there's another point about, you know, to, to someone grab Zark and go, are you sure, mate? Are you mm. sure about that, mate? Mm. Well, they're, looking, they're, they're looking at getting rid of thousands and thousands of people. So we'll have to wait and see about all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's plenty going on there. All right, uh, we'll move on to we're – going, we're going to have a look at COP next week, I think, Jack. Um, we but, should just note that we got it wrong last week. We said we did, it was in yes, Cairo we to, and, yeah, uh, and our, we, our good friend Grant Butler corrected us and told us it was in Sharm el-Sheikh, which he described right. as the as barley for Russians. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I, you couldn't. To be fair, and and and, and we do apologise and thank you, thank you, Grant, for picking us picking me up on that. Uh, that uh, COP twenty seven wasn't in Cairo. Can you imagine if it was? I mean, just getting all those uh, very important people uh, in in and around the streets of Cairo would it be a security nightmare, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, Sharm El Sheikh's a nice little place on the Sinai, um, and that's where it's actually being held. Thank you, Grant. Um, we had the but, Asian, but given that it's Bali for Russians, I won't be going there. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't isn't Monaco? <laughs> I reckon you can't you, you can't swing a cattery in, uh, in Monaco without eating a Russian. Mm. Um, uh, we'll, we'll move on to the Asian meetings uh, in our uh, domestic news, Jack. But Russia, and there's a very good note that you made there. 
we uh, the Russians have withdrawn from Kherson. The Ukes have moved in there on mass. Uh, the uh, the people of Kherson are celebrating. Um, it's a major, major um, uh, strategic loss. Would you, for the would Russians. you call a setback? <laughs> I think. I mean, there could be a couple of a couple of Russian generals who might have might are in danger of a trip and fall accident very soon. Yeah, um, they're losing this war, Jack. Uh, they certainly seem not to be winning it. <laughs> not definitely not winning it. Yeah. yeah, and that leads to the next question. I was talking to a, a, a friend of mine now living in Canada, where we went to school together years and years and years ago. And uh, he uh, he uh, specialises in transition economy. Spent a lot of time in Russia um, uh, 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 with the collapse of uh, the Soviet Union. Uh, married a lovely Russian lady, um, and now lives in Ontario, um, and where he was born. Um, and he was saying, "Yep, yeah, the big prize is Crimea, Crimea." Mm. So the question the question I posed that, you, that was is Crimea now in play? Well, Crimea, Crimea, of course, was invaded and taken over in 2014. 2014, yeah. There was a referendum there too, Jack. Stunning, stunning victory for uh, for Russian administration and Vladimir Putin. Hmm. Um, and that is, of course, why, you know, uh, Russian sanctions came in in the first place. So they've been upgraded since. Um, they're not winning the war. They, uh, the, the, the strategic reasons behind the loss of Kherson, which is on the Dnieper River, where the Dnieper River meets uh, the Black Sea, um, uh, that basically that land connection between between Russia and Crimea is now uh, is now up for grabs. And the, Mar- and that, the Mariupol Highway um, yes. uh, is is the is the is the key strategic thing that if the if the Ukrainians got hold of that. Um, they can um, strangle Crimea to a large extent um, and they can even control the water going down to a far, fair bit of, 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 yeah. of Crimea. It's a, it's a major strategic port. We knew that. I mean, not a strategic area, um, but, uh, but a port in the Black Sea as well. I just get the feeling that when now we know, you know, we've talked about this in previous episodes, we know the Russians are using increasingly conscripted soldiers who are poorly trained from all reports, you know, given the old wooden guns of Dad's army and march up and down the march up and down the, the, the town square for a while, and then off you go into battle. Um, it's not. We, it's, we also mentioned the three line that they're moving in back into the old three line system, so that um, uh, uh, you can't just turn around and go home because someone <laughs> will shoot you um, if you try and do that. Yeah, but it's and that's very very possible. That was uh, the way that um, uh, Stalin motivated the Red Army in in Stalingrad. At least um, in the early days, yeah, in the very yeah. early days, had the machine gun set up for anyone who thought, ah, this seems I'm like, this seems this. really dangerous. <laughs> I think I'll pop out the back. Um, and it's you know, I mean, modern uh, military history is littered. Uh, with uh, the failures of conscripted soldiers, uh, particularly among invading forces, Jack. It it becomes a test of uh, the people who are uh, actually fighting for their home um, will fight. That's right. Um, The people who are fighting to take something else over need um, a fair bit of motivating, and that's hard to do, and particularly hard to do with conscripted soldiers. 
Indeed it is, and uh, history is littered with that. And it's not as if the Russians wouldn't understand that, Jack, uh, after their foray into Afghanistan in the uh, in the eighties. Um, yeah, look, uh, what strategic weapons? I mean, obviously, besides nuclear, but between besides a nuclear strike, which would be a highly dangerous thing uh, for Putin to do, what weapons? What cards has he got left to play? Oh, it's hard to know. I mean, what I'm saying is he can punish Europe, and he will through this winter, through uh, through restricting access to uh, to energy sources, oil, gas. So we can thank thank Angela Merkel and the German Greens for that. Well, yes and no. Yes, they got lazy on cheap Russian energy, and and, uh, and they didn't look at alternatives. Um, the French were a little bit smarter, and they don't have the big problems that the, the, the Germans do have. But but I'm just saying, what, 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 what cards does Vladimir Putin have left to play besides the nuclear one? There's not much, is there? There's, you know, not much he can say, well, we're going to deny the West from this. I mean, we're going to be a Borsch sanction, you know. <laughs> you won't be allowed to, won't be allowed to have a Borsch. And that's but about it. There's, there's really nothing, there's really no cards he's got left to play. We won't be able to buy larders. <laughs> there's really nothing much that he's got left to play with. He's coming out of this, what are we, nine months after an invasion that looked like it was, well, was planned to go for about a fortnight and be uh, an unequivocal sweeping victory for the Russian, is uh, uh, now has them pushed back deep into the Donbass. Um, and uh, and and looking like losing their strategic pickup from uh, from eight years ago, mm. which is why um, uh, uh, people are starting to make noises about some kind of settlement, and people who have a little bit in the Russian, a little bit in the Russian camp, are starting to make those noises. Yeah, I could see uh, how that might be the case, but. You can't negotiate if you you can't negotiate from your knees. That's that's the, that's the point. You're not going to get a good outcome. All right, over to Iran. Uh, we've talked about the Iranian situation there. I think the regime is on the brink, and uh, and of course they're always going to fight very very hard when they when they see their their well. It's an existential threat uh, to the mullahs in. Um, in uh, in Iran, and now they're coming out hardjacked. They're uh, they're executing uh, protesters by way of uh, you know symbolic sort of executions to say this is what will happen if you join these protests. Mm. And the parliament is passing legislation agreeing with this. Yeah. So have we seen executions? I mean, we know that they're occurring. We know that these prisons where people are being locked up, people are being tortured and murdered. Uh, have we seen any sign of public executions in not, Iran yet? Not that I can find reporting of, no. No, I can't see anything there. But this is a regime, they've, they've got two ways that it can go, and one is very unlikely. One, that they will drop to their knees and say, look, we're terribly sorry. This whole idea of an Islamic federation uh, in in Iran was always a bit jumped up. We're going to just pop out of the road and you can take over and we'll have some elections and let's have some fair and decent elections for a change. That's yeah. not going to happen. They're going to go the other way. They are going to really strike While we're talking about that, I've got some cryptocurrency wouldn't mind selling it. Oh, God only knows. <laughs> about, about, as, about as much chance of that. Um, they're not going to do that. Um, it, it's going to end messily, I would think. Mm. 
Um, but in the end, if if you've got the if you've got the numbers, people power will 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 win out. That's 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 and what the, must terrify them. And the numbers are the but the numbers are the, are the critical thing. And and my understanding is that the is that the numbers of the middle class and in Tehran and the other big cities are about kind of line ball with the conservatives in the countryside. All right. Now let's move to the UK, Jack. Uh, no, no, uh, no bounce in the polls yet for uh, the new PM? No, 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 he's not. Um, and uh, he and his chancellor are set to... Uh, Produced a lot more fiscal pain on the people. Yeah, it's, so it's, not, it's, it's not going to be overwhelmingly popular, is it? No, and it's going to no. strike at the lower end middle classes, isn't it? It is indeed. Their best prospects of success, I think, in the next election, which is still you know, eighteen months away, um, is to do something. If they can fix the uh, the people arriving across the channel in dinghies, that will give them at least some kind of base from which to fight. Well, there's still no sign of an agreement being signed. They were on <laughs> last week. We mentioned this in the program. Um, Sunak met with Macron. There was much hugging, and uh, and they were on the verge of an agreement that would allow Her Majesty's Customs agents to conduct investigations and searches on French territory. Jack. Well, a week the, later, the, now the, the French have sat, have suddenly started doing something from their side. I noticed. Um, over the weekend, um, they were destroying or disabling dinghies on the beaches in um, uh, in France, um, so much so that they were being pelted with rocks and um, uh, and sticks and stuff by the migrants themselves, who were upset that their stuff was being destroyed. Yeah, but that agreement that they were on the verge of making, Jack, uh, a week later, nothing. Not yeah, well, a we'll scary. We'll so that just seemed like a headline for its own sake. Could and uh, indeed, in a lot of the Tory newspapers, that's that's exactly what it was. I just want to go through some um, some some economic figures in the UK, Jack. Um, uh, the Bank of England forecast last week that the third quarter would be the start of a recession lasting two years in the United Kingdom. That's the that's the central bank, Jack. Mm-hmm. And that would be the longest since World War II and eclipse the downturn that followed the, uh, the 2008 global financial crisis. Um, and though the central bank said that any declines in GDP heading into 2024 would likely be relatively small. The UK economy has shrunk by point. Uh, 0.2% since the last quarter of uh, 2019, which is the best measurable way of determining the economic health or otherwise of a nation. You you really almost need to chop out uh, the pandemic years and you go back to that last quarter of 2019 and see where the GDP was then and compare it to now. So the the economy has shrunk. And then we look at manufacturing output, uh, output, Jack, all 13 manufacturing subsectors recorded falls in output in September. As a whole, manufacturing fell 2.3% to record the worst performance over the three months since the 1980s, since the Thatcher years. Uh, purchase of new equipment, that's basically investment in, in manufacturing and processes to drive productivity is crucial for the sector survival, yet business investment shrank by 0.5% over the quarter. And overall, we've got some economic figures uh, 
and and, and indeed for Europe with the uh, the uh, with uh, the, the third quarter of uh, the calendar year coming through now gross domestic product fell 0.2% uh, in the UK f- from the second quarter a slightly better uh, outcome than the 0.5 decline feared by the central bank thanks to a stronger than expected performance industry in September but I must also say this Jack the Queen's period of mourning including the public holiday uh, that actually uh, brought about a decline in, in GDP. But the, the, you, you, you take that out, which is, um, you know, not only, the, not only the rules cost you a fortune, but they're actually sucking money out of the economy now when they die. Um, uh, well, but people, basically- are, people are lining the streets of London watching her, going, watching her coffin go past. They're not actually at work, are Get they? back to work! <laughs> Yeah, anyway, um, the, the, the UK economy, you know, we know the EU across the across the channel there is, is struggling as well. We'll go through that in a minute. But these are terrible figures for the UK. And, and, and really, we've got probably the best part of 10 years of poor economic management to blame for it, including Brexit. I mean, the, the manufacturing stuff I wanted to talk about because we're hearing stories that manufacturers in the UK are just leaving en masse. Yep. Uh, and it's not a lot better, but somewhat better in uh, in the rest of the EU, Jack. Uh, with um, their, their inflation figures are higher, but their GDP loss is a bit less. Um, they've got another little problem in, in parts of the EU, particularly in Germany. BAS, BASF, the world's largest chemical group, um, they're going to pretty much downsize permanently in Europe, and that's a factor of the of the uh, energy costs. What they do is they, they use a lot of gas to make um, products out of petrochemicals, and it's all too expensive to do in Europe, and the market's not growing in Europe anyway. So they're going to move the move to the United States. Uh, that's their first move. They're building a big facility in the United States at the moment, uh, <laughs> and that's going to be repeated. Germany had uh, tepid, uh, tepid but positive growth uh, in in that quarter. In in the quarter just completed, the third quarter of twenty twenty two, and and that was driven by a surge, which uh, economists are not predicting will will remain, but a surge in uh, manufacturing. Manufacturing yeah. output, uh, which is basically everyone's feeling very, very pe- pessimistic about that going forward. Yes. But there was a surge in manufacturing, and then we look at the UK, and they're basically they've gone backwards there, um, very, very seriously. Um, I did, uh, and I will present some French figures, which are you know equally bad. I mean, the EU is predicting a recession uh, throughout uh, uh, the remaining part of twenty twenty two. So this current quarter and into 2023, not as long as the Bank of England is predicting UK's economy will be in recession, but uh, they are expecting um, inflation to spike at the end of this year and then go down. Uh, This is in in Europe, I should say, in the EU. In the Uh, EU zone. In the EU zone, that's right. I mean, there are some very, very, very high figures uh, out of around the, the Baltic out of the, states, out of the EU zone, yes, yeah. yeah, there's some very, very high figures there. It certainly looks like being over ten percent, even within the EU zone, and worse outside it. Worse outside. So in the Baltic states, we've got inflation running around sort of almost thirty percent, many of them. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so yes, I mean, I, I just, I just when I look at this, and we'll cover this a bit more 
What a disaster Brexit has turned out to be, both in terms of timing and as a concept itself. Um, and well, perhaps- it's dif- difficult to untangle um, it is. The, ec- the economic effects of COVID and Brexit because mm. they are they happened at much the same time. But I think a reasonable assessment is that the UK um, uh, has grown 3.8% since the referendum. That's not actually since Brexit happened, but since the decision was made. Um, and the EU has grown 8.5%. So yeah. that's the time period from the referendum till now. Um, uh, and investment's even a little bit worse, actually. Investment is a, a 13% difference. Um, so that's it clearly, clearly it has had some effect, um, but it's, they're, it's, they're not going. But they're not going back in. They're the not Labor going Party, to go back. The, the but, Labor but, Party have made it clear that they will not join a customs union and won't look to rejoin the EU either. No, it's it's, it's the damage is done. The damage is done, and and. And look, we can point the finger at the Tories, and I do, but but Labor is similarly vexed by by Brexit. Um, the the, the it, Tory, it, Tory government didn't support Brexit. I might add, at the time, um, yeah. David David Cameron was Prime Minister. Whoa. Brexit wasn't Brexit. Brexit wasn't driven by. Um, he was foolish enough to, to ask the people. That's for, for the their point vote. I want to make. Yeah, yeah. That's the point I want to make. David Cameron will be the one that everyone will historically will be the one that everyone will point fingers at and say, "You're the one who let this genie out of the bottle." Mm. And once out, you couldn't put it back in. Um, no, uh, once well, the people, no, no once one the, could put it back in. Yeah. Once the people voted, that was it. That's the, yeah, yeah, that's it. it is, there's but no, they were sold a pup. They were sold a pup, and 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 they were sold a pup on. On, uh, uh, on 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 base on base motives really we sold this thing that somehow the UK was was owed a living by the rest of the world which is clearly isn't um, and uh, sold a pup on uh, on economic figures which were bright and rosy and has since not transpired um, and and you're basically designating um, you know working class people and working poor people. To multi generations of of of, uh, of battling away, um, declining wages, declining output. Um, I don't think that there is uh, too much too much the the UK, the UK, uh, the UK can get excited about. Uh, if you want to have a look at an economy that's actually going okay, have a look at have a look at the Republic in in Ireland. It's actually going pretty well. Manufacturing output up. Uh, it's a manufacturing based economy now. Um, and, uh, and and across and across the Irish Sea, they are battling. Mm. Uh, if you want to blame someone for for the Brexit vote, the proper place to place the blame blame is with the EU. Oh, that's, I just don't don't accept that. Yeah, they're going to play hardball. Why wouldn't they play hardball? No, no, no. The reason why people voted for Brexit was the overreach of the EU that they wanted to turn it into a um, a United States of Europe type of arrangement, and and the Brits were never going to go with that. Well, but there are ways of negotiating a way through that without taking a bat and ball and go home. I mean, mm. basically, what people were were told to believe is that there would be no economic. Uh, there would be no economic consequences uh, from leaving the biggest trading group in the world that's 40 kilometres away, that somehow the Australians or the Americans would come uh, would come to uh, would, <laughs> would come to their assistance. Uh, the, uh, the US 
UK trade pact, nowhere to be seen. The US-Australian trade pact, nowhere to be seen. Still in negotiations um, uh, and, and all that sort of stuff of bluff and bullshit essentially from Boris. Mm. Oh, well, all right. time, time will tell. Yeah, time will, time will tell. But unfortunately, the people in the UK who are on the breadline right now are going to pay the price for this. Pandemic management, Jack. <clears throat> the Atlantic, and uh, we might pop this up on our Facebook page. The Atlantic. Emily the, Oster. Emily Oster was the journalist. Yeah, who she's wrote an the economist piece. at Brown University, um, uh, and she wrote a piece which I just acquainted myself with. Uh, she called for an amnesty for those who got pandemic management wrong, or and indeed anybody who said, "Can you go and wash your hands, please?" Uh, or can you uh, can you back off and give me a bit of uh, bit of social social space? It's an odd. Yeah, I, I thought it was sort of a um, uh, a comedy piece when I first read it. I, I was quite enjoying it until I realised that she was serious. Um, there were lots and lots of people who got the pandemic wrong, um, and this is right across the spectrum. And we've been saying this right from the beginning. I've been saying it certainly that. I didn't expect that people would get this right because it was all happening too quickly for the wheels yeah, of government to turn. That's the thing. And, 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 and what, you know, while this sort of rather gentle piece from uh, the Atlantic um, has called for an amnesty, there is there are more, a broader call for, for an amnesty, and I'm not even sure what it means, but that we reach out and embrace those people who refuse to vaccinate. I'm not touching them with a barge pole. Um, but... We did get lots wrong. Let's talk about what we got wrong in Australia. We won't concentrate too much on Hong Kong. <laughs> We've looked at uh, Hong Kong and... Um, well, there's, and there's lots to blame the Hong Kong government for, but in part their problem is that they've um, got to be more or less in lockstep with, a, um, yeah. with, with the, the mainland. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's look, But if we're looking at what, what, um, what governments got wrong in Australia, and like I say, I'm quite forgiving of this because... The wheels of government normally, if they're done properly, grind a lot slower than what was required in the pandemic. You know, they were making decisions in five days that would normally take a year. Um, That's quite the, true. Let's um, let's let's understand that first, because the, you know there's been a lot of uh, history being rewritten about the pandemic right now, which is really odd because most of us have functioning memories and can remember all of these things. Yeah, the but, first year of the pandemic. There were no vaccines. I mean, from, from, let's say, the outbreak of it in Europe and indeed in Australia in February of, of 2020 to December, which was the first um, first vaccine issued uh, outside of a clinical trial, and that was done in the UK. So yeah. really a year went by where we had no way of managing um, uh, uh, the spread of this, uh, the spread of COVID. Um and and so you've got to understand that in the context of that, there were there were there were bound to be some decisions that, w- that were made around lockdowns, around border closures that we look back on now and say, well, they were mistakes. Well, the first mistake I think was to look at this as a um, to look at the decision making process as a health issue, and to listen to the state health officers and the federal health officers, chief chief, chief health officers. The decisions were always political and properly so because you look at what the health advice is and then you measure that against everything else that's going on in the world, what are, what other things you need to do. Mm. And the governments didn't do that. They just elevated these um, uh, health officers into 
uh, being all-seeing, all-knowing uh, experts, and they never were that, and they never should have been treated like that. <laughs> but that's a bit um, of a revisionism too, because no? yes, I, I, it is. Bit, very I was much, saying this. I was saying this at the time that yeah, you but shouldn't it's, be it's, listening it's to revisionism, and It's revisionism because you couldn't determine then just how bad the spread of COVID was going to be. Um, you couldn't tell us just how bad it was going to be. We, what we saw in the UK was an absolute disaster in terms of government response. What we what we don't have in Australia is is a high mortality count. Let me run you through the let me run you through the fatalities from COVID. In twenty twenty, there were nine hundred and nine in Australia, right? So it's very very small, uh, and and there were two and a, two two thousand three hundred in in twenty twenty one. And now in 2022, which, which we've opened and we've done so pretty much fully opened up by this stage, uh, we've had over 13,000. Well, so we, do- we were doing better in Hong Kong um, uh, at that stage um, without a lockdown, with no curfews uh, uh, and with school closures. We were doing much, much better than Australia was at the time, right? Um, yeah, so there, so there, for things things like it didn't work, the lockdowns don't work. Or you, yes, you can make them work in China, but all you're doing is kicking the can down the road. Um, so and, and you and you and you do that at a huge cost to the Chinese economy. Um, so it's lockdowns don't a work. Huge, huge cost to the, the Chinese economy, yeah. and you're doing that. You did that globally. Yeah. One of the mistakes that I would say that we definitely made in Australia was to lock the just to shut the country out from the up from the rest of the world. So I think lock, that was a lockdowns were a mistake. mistake. Curfews, ridiculous. That was always a mistake. Um, uh, yeah, curfews when you yeah, you know, like, yeah. I mean, like if, if you wanted to be out going out for a jog at midnight, that was ridiculous. Yeah, that was absolutely uh, absurd. Closing um, beach, closing beaches and parks, absurd. Always absurd. Um, there were cl- there were beaches it- that were closed. There there were. There were, you might remember that there were wallopers walking around telling people if they sat down in a park, they could go to a park, but well, they, they, couldn't they could down. only do so while they were exercising. So what? So what? Essentially, governments did was 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 enable law enforcement, give, give them ex- additional powers, and we know that when you give law enforcement additional powers, they will use slash misuse them. Uh, and, and so a lot of that like, stuff it's, it's like my old man used to say about you whack a white a white coat on a bloke and tell him he's going to be managing this section of the um, of the, uh, the uh, uh, of the Waverley car park um, and, and he turns into a sergeant of police. He thinks he well, can yeah. run everything around. Yeah, you know? give, give a man a uniform and he turns yeah. into Hitler. I yeah. mean, <laughs> but, yeah, look, there, there was there were lots of mistakes made. One, one thing that we didn't get, uh, wrong was the vaccine rollout. Now there were problems with that because we were we were dealing with a vaccine, we were dealing with a vaccine that had been through a, a very limited clinical trial, um, and and there were problems that arose around supply um, that, that were exacerbated by um, uh, by uh, issues that arose about the AstraZeneca. Um, some some um, uh, some some rare side effects for the AstraZeneca thing, which which blocked up supply. But overall, Australians embraced vaccination in, into the into the uh, into the mid nineties um, uh, in terms of percentage of uptake. Part of the nonsense that we, that, that that is being um, uh, rewritten about this is that somehow we were being told that the vaccine would spare us from infection. 
that it was like polio, that if you took it, you wouldn't get polio, um, <clears throat> when that was clearly never spelled out. I mean, this is something that anti-vax groups and some elements of the media in Australia are now saying, oh, well, you know, how come, how come if I get vaccinated, I can still get COVID? The, the vaccination was never about transmiss- reducing transmissibility, although it does. Clinical data shows that it is. And, uh, and it was never about you not getting COVID. And, and we understood this at the time, that if you got vaccinated, you were more highly protected against infection, against its worst symptoms, against COVID's worst symptoms, less likely to be hospitalised. We were told this at the time. So I get really annoyed with the revisionism that goes on here. Um, We were also, you know, where there was this sort of um, uh, gotcha moment in the uh, European Parliament when when a senior executive uh, from Pfizer acknowledged that, quite rightly, that that transmissibility was never a feature of the vaccine, nor was it a requirement of it, because they simply didn't have enough time. If you want to measure transmissibility of a vaccine, you'll have to do that over five or ten years. You need a lot of data to come through. It turns out the early days, in these, in, with clinical trials coming out now, it turns out, yes, that if you're vaccinated, you are less infectious and less infectious for a shorter period of time than those who are, are, are unvaccinated. That's the revisionism, that somehow employment mandates were imposed upon us, vaccine passports, although we barely had any sort of touch of that here, um, uh, you know, were, were, were built on this lie of transmissibility. Uh, <clears throat> um, well, cer- certainly in some places and some, some politicians were pushing the line that don't get the vaccine for yourself, get it so you stop um, uh, stop the spread of well, the, Biden of the said virus. That. Yeah, Biden yeah. said that. Biden said that. Politicians all around the world said that. And he was that. right. But he was right. It turned, the, the, the clinical data tells you so far, you know, and we'll be learning about this for the next 10 years, and we'll have COVID yeah. with us for at least the next 10 years, and we'll talk about that in a minute, um, that, 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 that while people can make assumptions about the vaccine, that it would uh, um, make people um, less symptomatic for a shorter period of time. And, and you've had COVID, I've had COVID, and we've experienced a bad day, right? Uh, mm. If we're unvaccinated, it may not have been uh, quite as easy. Uh, <clears throat> the I had, problem a, lot, is, I had Jack, a lot of bad days. I had, to, I had to wear a wristband for a week after I got over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem is, Jack, that... I mean, does, does anyone really, you know, at least does anyone anywhere really want to have a conversation with me about why it was important for unvaccinated people not to be treating people with frontline health? I mean, I, 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 just, I just can't even under, can't, can't even begin to understand that. Um, well, what, what? I, I think there's still a lot to learn about this. Um, the, the most interesting um, case study that I'm keeping an eye on at the moment is the Republic of Korea, South Korea. Um, they have um, almost universal mask wearing, um, and um, I think their vaccination rates are um, so close to 100% it doesn't matter. Um, and they had two huge spikes in cases, and no one can quite work out why. So my take on that is that there are still things we don't know about all of this. The problem, Jack, is that when we get into this revisionism, and I'm not suggesting that you are, but I've seen a lot of it on Australian media and it really disappoints me. We have, in this country, we have less than 40% of uptake of 
of the of the booster, what we might call the third shot, mm. and virtually negligible numbers on on the fourth. Certainly in in, in certain demographics, yes, el- the elderly people, people perhaps most at risk, have got their third and fourth boosters. And the problem is that people are being talked out of doing these things, and 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 the and the issue is not, and it and really is going back goes back to what Joe Biden was saying, you know. Take some responsibility for what you're going to do, not for yourself, but for other people in your community who you simply cannot know uh, whether they have pre-existing health conditions. I mean, you'll know if they're elderly. Um, but, yeah, um, uh, why wouldn't you just go go and get your third and fourth booster? And this is, this is an argument. No government wants to touch this stuff at the moment, but I just went through the figures with you. We've had 12,000 deaths this year. Hmm. No one keeps a tab on that anymore. We had 900 in the first year when everyone was panicking blind about it when we didn't have any vaccines, only 900 deaths. Now we've had 12,000 and growing, and I'll just give you a brief synopsis here. Epidemiologists say new waves of COVID-19 infections will continue for up to a decade as case numbers increase sharply across the country. Health authorities say a potent combination of new variants, including the BA.5 XBB BQ1 and fast-growing BA 2.75 strains, is driving the lowest wave because of their ability to escape existing immunity and it goes through case numbers I, I i can only tell you those case numbers won't be right um because no one's no one's really reporting them but we've got ninety thousand eight hundred recorded cases last week in new south wales for example it'll be nowhere near the number of covid infections that we've actually got so so the issue is one that we always really had about vaccination it's not about preventing you from getting covid it's not about um, uh, 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 because you you will get it, you will almost certainly get it. It's about preventing the uh, or reducing the transmissibility through boosters as variants come into play. Uh, <clears throat> and the fourth variant will knock over these things. By the way, right? But it will protect you anyway, not knock over. That's the wrong thing. Wrong thing to say. It will protect and reduce your transmission of these strains. So my ask, my, my question is, why isn't the media now doing this? Let's get out and 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 do your third and fourth booster. Why isn't the government doing this? Why have they just said, oh look, you know, we don't want to we don't want to aggravate people. I mean, it's a bit sad. The the the, the question is, we're not not going to look at protecting yourself, but you might protect the bloke who's got a heart condition, don't even know it. You go to the supermarket and kill him. Yeah, um, well, I don't think that was a soul at all well from the beginning. I know in Hong Kong, I mean, I've had three and I'm not eligible to get the fourth for some months now because I've had COVID. Um, so they space it. They've, they've taken the view that you space that out. So if you've had COVID, that gives a, a boost to your antibodies and they'll wait until those antibodies are reduced, then they'll give you the fourth dose. Yeah, yeah, we got. I think it's. I think it's twelve weeks. Don't quote me on that. Same mm. similar sort of situation here post mm. post COVID infection. And I am off to get my fourth booster. Not because I'm worried about me, but if you look at the people that are dying, and we were talking about thirteen thousand this year in Australia alone. The um, obviously you've got a heavy preponderance in elderly groups in that in that top age demographic, but of those with pre existing conditions, 
the ones, the the the, the, the most, the the, the 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 condition that leads to most COVID deaths is heart. And most people walking around in their fifties and sixties may not know that they've got heart problems. And that's mm. my point. Go and get boosted. It's not going to hurt you. You might feel a bit crook for a day. You know, not going to hurt you. Mm. Well, one of the things is is once you oversell stuff and, and say in Australia some stuff was oversold, I, I've got no doubt about that, the curfews, the locking down with parks, the state border issues, yeah. Yeah. we're all overselling. Once you're overselling people, people get over I don't want to hear about this anymore. There's, there's an element of that about that. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I fully understand lockdowns. I never understood why the country shut itself down, mm. and, well, other than, other than to acknowledge that it – didn't have adequate quarantine facilities, and clearly we didn't, uh, and that was something that the federal government should have addressed with some urgency and kept the country open, right? Um, and and <coughs> we, we also had situations where people left the country and then weren't allowed to come back in, you know? Mm. It was ridiculous stuff, and, we, and we're paying for that economically now, you know? We, we, we can't get enough people to... To, uh, to, to do the jobs that need to keep the economy going. Yeah. So plenty of mistakes made. The vaccine was a good rollout, but we're about to make another mistake on boosters, and that could lead to people, you know, go down, go down to the red-faced black in the, in the supermarket and kill him <laughs> because you're asymptomatic and he gets it and he's got a heart condition and that's the end of him. Yeah. All right. So that takes us to Australia. Of course, uh, um, with these uh, uh, new waves of COVID nineteen infections, very similar to Korea, by the way, Jack. Not in terms of uh, geography uh, or, or sheer numbers, but uh, uh, but there is a surge of COVID. There is a surge of COVID really across the planet uh, with these various uh, various um, um, uh, these various strains coming out. Um, but into more um, um, diplomatic news, it would seem that uh, Elbow is a, will it will meet uh, President Xi, Xi, I should say, at, in uh, at the G20 in in uh, in Bali. He did have a four minute conversation with him in Cambodia. Do they, they time these things? What they got stock clocks? What, yeah, what, what, are, we, what are we doing? Mm. Um, because I did see the the shake of the hand and the and the murmuring going on. Can't be a bad thing, though, Jack. It's never a bad thing. Can't be a bad thing at all. We have uh, the the uh, the G20 meeting it, in Australia Bar. hasn't been driving this no-talkies business, by the way. No, no, that's, no. It's, no, it's no, been no, driven no. entirely from the other end. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, we had a trade minister. <laughs> we had a trade minister in the former government that would ring up... Uh, Oh, dear, they're still not home. Um, mm. I'll leave a message. Um, mm. But, yeah, no, the, the phone never rang backwards. Um, mm. um, look, yeah, any sort of discussion is going to be a good discussion, even if it's even if it's a bit heated and a bit firm. Uh, at least at least those lines of communication are well, open. Some of us enjoy a bit of heated discussion and disagreement. <laughs> well, I mean, a, a lot of people these days don't. Um, but um, well, you think uh, pre- pre- President G, you'd be you'd be a man who just just enjoys a joy, enjoys a good argument, does it? Do you think? Oh, I hope so. Yeah, I don't know about that, mate. I really don't. Um, it, w- it, it wouldn't have had much practice lately. 
No, that's <laughs> he's a bit like Elon, mate. <laughs> no, no, no one around to say, are you quite sure about this? Um, we, yeah. yeah. We, we, we need, need to get a few of these chaps into the, uh, the, the, the corner of the pub that I go to on Friday nights and enjoy a bit of backwards and forwards. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, I, I, I can't see just, it happening, just, Jack, by the just way. Just to sharpen their skills for um, having someone disagree with them. Yeah, it would be a good shouter, you reckon, Z? Mm. Mr G, President G, be a good shouter. Mm. Beers for everyone. All mm. right, so what happened in the Asian Summit in Cambodia, Jack, besides Elbow uh, having uh, a chat to the Chinese Premier? Uh, it's... Uh, Give our listeners a bit of an idea of what this uh, particular um, group does. Uh, Australia's not a member of it. It, it, is, uh, it, it goes along by invitation as a guest. It doesn't actually do much, ASEAN. Um, uh, it, it, um, it doesn't leave much of a footprint in the sand, to be quite honest. What it does is provide a forum um, for the countries in Southeast Asia to get together and have a and have a chat about things because they have some common interests but they are competitors so this allows them to sit down around a table and nut a few things out but they don't decide much they just exchange views had a bit of a chat about Myanmar. I think it was Myanmar a, a, a yeah that's, all, that's pretty nation. much always on the agenda yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> has what, been for 20 years. You know. It's what we call multi-level diplomacy um, yeah. uh, and, uh, and it has brought about the, uh, uh, the likelihood, the very strong likelihood that uh, uh, the Chinese president will have a meeting with our prime minister. I just picked this up. Uh, there was, a, there was a, 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 an op-ed written in The Australian today and I did not know this, Jack. Uh, former Mac- former uh, Macquarie head... Nicholas Moore has been appointed by the government as, as special envoy to Southeast Asia with the mission to um, uh, to uh, accelerate trade and investment with, with the, within the region. Uh, and the op-ed says one can see why someone with Moore's background was nominated. He certainly seems highly credentialed. Uh, yeah, Nicholas Moore, Nicholas Moore had uh, a reputation of a, as, a, as a star um, uh, when he was at Macquarie. Right, so he's the right sort of choice to drive this, and th- and this is basically he's going around not just with government but with business as well. Yes, yeah, very personable chap. Oh, you know him? Oh, I met him. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah. Now, look, it's just one of those appointments that had gone through to the keeper, certainly by, by my uh, on, on my news feed anyway, and perhaps I was looking the other way at the right time. I, I think these appointments are very, very good. Um, and we should have a little bit more of them. The right people with uh, corporate backgrounds going around and promoting the idea of investment in Australia, and we'll get to one of those. And, and also investment in the ASEAN countries. And the ASEAN which, countries, Which are, right. uh, there's still enormous untapped potential in the ASEAN countries. Um, uh, Vietnam's really on liftoff at the moment. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, it's it's, it's about really going to week. take off for a number of reasons, which I think we spoke about this last week. Part of it is that um, companies are seeking to remove part of their supply chain from China. Um, the Vietnamese are mainly doing assembly, but there are um, a well-educated, smart people who work yep. hard um, yep. uh, and um, uh, a stable government. Um, it's, the, it's the 
the, the I think the new star of uh, of, of uh, will be the new star of ASEAN. But there's lots of potential in Indonesia and Malaysia, Indonesia. and even the Philippines has got huge oh, amount of upside um, uh, in the sense that it's got a a very large, well educated English speaking um, population. Um, it's just that. The only way they seem to make money is sending those people overseas and sending remittances back. Yeah, look, I mean, going through just the trade figures alone, that, that, that Australia trades five times more with New Zealand than it does in Indonesia, and that seems to be a problem that needs to be sorted out. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to the Medibank data breach, Jack, because one of these things that we're talking about, this sort of uh, joint investment, um, is... Uh, uh, the Indonesian government has begun talks with Australia on a plan to invest in a long-term mining and processing partnership that could make the two countries the global supplier, oh, you'll love this, Jack, of electric vehicle batteries and aid the Southeast Asian giant's green energy transition. Um, Australia has Not a lot just of... electric vehicle batteries, but, but yeah, lithium right. batteries generally, which they have that's other right. uses. Yeah, but, um, but uh, look, there's, there, there's high demand, uh, and Australia has Australia has a lot of lithium. So, so basically, um, uh, what we're talking about is still very much a part of the mining industry in Australia. Um, but what we would love to be able to do is to perhaps jointly with Indonesia, dig, not just dig it out of the ground and send it overseas, but dig it out of the ground, value at it, and uh, and make ourselves and our uh, and our investment partners well, this be good major mining. supplies to the world. Will this be good mining? Will it? Of course, it will be. All oh, mining okay. is good, all mining is good mining, provided they <laughs> provided they chip in their profits. You might have just seen a coal mine that that uh, uh, the, the Queensland government's in a bit of strife over because uh, it would seem since they packed up and left, there's uh, quite a bit of arsenic and uh, benzene getting in the uh, getting in the water table, Jack. Yeah. Now, no mining, no mining leaves a, a light touch on on the invest on, on the environment. You must. You must concede that, so it doesn't really matter whether it's coal or lithium or whatever it is. Um, but basically, the, the problem we've got with mining in this country is that once they pack up and go, there's usually an environmental disaster to deal with, and uh, they've taken all their profits with them. Um, and I think that's something I would like to talk about uh, mining uh, super profits, particularly in the gas uh, the gas and oil fields, or LNG in particular, uh, and perhaps we'll put that aside for next week, Jack, and why that might be a good policy for the Australian government, although risky, uh, might be a good policy uh, to adopt. And it seems like the, the Albanese is going that way in a very sort of, shall we say, a very uh, sensitive uh, way, uh, talking about a sort of mining super tax profits for the uh, LNG industry. I'm happy to talk about it. Um, my initial reaction always to these things is it depends what you do with the money yeah. as to how you can sell it. If you say, we're just going to whack that into consolidated revenue yeah. and waste it like we're wasting a lot of the rest Couldn't of the money, it, it's, it's never going to sell. Sovereign wealth if, fund. If you put it into a, you know, a sovereign wealth fund or something of that kind, mm. then maybe it's, maybe it's politically sellable. Yeah. And, and and that's to say to the to the to the gas miners, you say, okay, well your profits are X right now, mm. and when they get to and when they and when they decline, we you know expect they'll decline as the energy matters sort themselves out. Um, then you don't have to pay it anymore. Mm. So it's basically while you've got profits coming out the wazoo, we want a piece of it. 
you know, you, you, and, are, and, you are getting this from Australian sovereign territory after all. And we're going to do something useful with it. You've got to do something useful. You can't you, you, you can't just chuck it in and say we're going to use it for a budget uh, yeah. budget management. Yes. Let's have a chat about that next week and we'll talk about some, uh, some various uh, super profits around the world. Uh, set that aside for a bit of a chat. But it's time to talk about sport now, Jack. Did you see the T20 final last night? I did indeed see the tweet. Well, I, I, I followed the um, the Pakistan innings and then uh, went down to my local and watched the um, the England innings. It was a terrific spectacle. Uh, yeah, very tense, very tense at times. Uh, England too good and and the best side in the competition. I didn't think 137 was enough, um, uh, and. Uh, it, it wasn't by an over. One thing that annoys yeah. me. One thing that annoys me is when the commentators say um, uh, England won that by five wickets. That's a that's a that, that's a useful metric in a well, test that's a, match. That's a, yeah, it's a test. Yeah, it's, a, it, test, it's yeah. a useful metric in a test match to say you won by five wickets. It's a useless metric in this yeah. because it almost never matters. England won that by uh, an over. Um, and in the semi-final, um, I think Pakistan won their match by three balls. That, that's the useful metric. You know? Yeah, look, that, that, that's that's right. Except it probably doesn't mean all that much either. But but um, look, it, it, it was a hell of a game. England are the best side in the world. They are now the best. Uh, they are they reigning world champions in uh, in fifty over cricket, and uh, and now in T uh, twenties, uh, and and very capably led by. Josh Butler, who I've said before, is the best short-form batsman in the world. Uh, this relied substantially on Ben Stokes, who has that very cool, calm head to get you through any sort of crisis. Um, well, the, the, the three great players for England have, over the tournament, in my view, were Butler and Hales at the top of the order and Curran with the ball. Well, Curran um, won I, man of the series and yeah. man of the match. Uh, <coughs> ben Stokes was great in the final. Uh, I, I was reminded of the trouble that uh, Mike Atherton got into uh, in his column when um, uh, Andrew Flintoff retired when he um, quite rightly, I think, said that Andrew Flintoff was a good cricketer who had great moments rather than a great cricketer. Um, ben Stokes, I'd always thought, was a bit the same, but now I think we can say he's a great cricketer. He do- Yeah, look, he... He's just had so many great moments. That's, yeah, he's, he's had way too it. many great moments. For yeah, way too for, many for my liking. Thanks yeah. very much. Um, yeah. no, so Sam, he's, a, he's a great cricketer. Sam, Sam Khan with three for twelve. Look, the Pakistanis were probably a little bit unlucky. Yes, they didn't make enough runs, but their bowling it, it, it was I terrific. Was, I would go on and say that the, their bowling was the best. They had the best bowling in the competition, um, but they're a little unlucky in that uh, Shane Sharafridi uh, took a ripping catch, by the way, and, and, and knackered his knee over that and and uh, came back and bowled one ball, but he couldn't bowl. So she's the big left armour there. there, Mitchell Stark, yeah. bowls fast, swings the ball in, knocks over batsman that way. Uh, that ball he bowled wasn't a bad one, by the way, but it was about 20 Twenty uh, k off pace, and uh, he was no good and couldn't couldn't resume. And and the man who came in to replace him, uh, just to finish that over, um, uh, I think that was him. Was him? He went for. I oh, know that was Iftikhar Ahmed. God, he, he was lucky. Lucky he only went for thirteen. Um, one, so they, they, they were a bit stiff. They they probably didn't make enough runs. Baba got out in an unfortunate time, but look, if you if you put um, if you put Shara uh, Freedy in that bowling attack, gee, you know, they, they might have got a lot closer, put it that way. Uh, 
They might have. One of the things that's been a, um, a matter of discussion around um, my friends is, is is the horny old question of um, who should the diaspora support? Because they saw the crowd uh, of 92,000 for the India-Pakistan thing. Mm. And this, 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 it's an, this is an English obsession because I had a, a minister out there called Norman Tebbit who's famous for the Tebbit test. Uh, um, he thought that the test for citizenship uh, should have been, uh, if you're an Indian chap, whether you're barracking for India or England in a test match um, at, at Lords. You know, um, uh, I, I saw, saw a bloke who looked uh, uh, who looked like he'd come from India, and uh, and he had the England shirt on. Jack, um, I, I did say I was most amused by a tweet. Um, of course, England beat uh, India in the semi-final. Absolutely spanked them, by the way. Um, but yes, the tweet was uh, England keeping Pakistan and India <laughs> separate since 1948. Yeah. Um, well, uh, well, the um, uh, the India England semi-final was a huge crowd in my local because we have plenty of Indians and plenty of English uh, in Hong Kong. Yeah, oh, so well, that was, that was, it was a wonderfully lively night. It was all over by the shouting. And look, when we say that Pakistan didn't didn't make enough runs, they weren't allowed to make enough runs. So the English yeah, bowling and uh, fielding was excellent. And, 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 and the bowling current at India. the end was just sensational. Yeah, well, you got three for 12 off his four overseas. Not doing a whole lot wrong with those figures. Great mm. tournament. Enjoyed pretty much every moment of it. Australia... And gone in there without without any sort of form. I, mean, I think Stoinis had a bit of form under his belt. Matty Wade uh, was going okay, but there wasn't really anybody else there. They, of course, won the tournament in 2021, which had been delayed, um, and, uh, and, and and set up to play then. And they were entitled to be selected, those guys, um, but um, but they weren't quite uh, weren't quite good enough at the time. I think we mentioned this last week. I think Steve Smith. And they, they went in without a plan. They pulled aside and say, yeah, they didn't really. They said, look, let's just do what we did last time. Mm. Um, and it didn't work out. Um, form is so crucial in, in T20 cricket, uh, as it is in all cricket, but perhaps even more so. Um, well, you so haven't, got to, haven't got time to knock yourself into form out there in T20 no, cricket. If, you, if you're batting number five, mate, you just got to go. And if you're not if you're not hitting him off the square, and this is something Aaron Finch found out, I mean, he just couldn't hit the ball. Um, you know, you, you're not going to knock yourself into form. And he, he got a couple of 40s. I think he might have even got a 50 in the tournament, um, but all pretty slow, uh, all mm. pretty slow going. Um, uh, uh, worthy winners, uh, England. Well done to them. Um, oh yeah, I saw the saw the Wallabies had a loss. Jack, what happened there? Um, they lost to Italy. Um, they lost by a point, um, right. and again they lost it at the end with some. Um, they're, they're bad finishes. The Australian, the, the Wallabies are. You know, they didn't finish the game off well. They they, they could have put Italy away. Um, you know, again, ill discipline. They're the dumbest team in world rugby, um, but. They really shouldn't have been that close. The, the, the Italian kickers left about 14 points out in the park. They just missed easy conversions and easy penalties. So um, they're a fair way off the pace, the Wallabies. I did notice the uh, Rugby Union uh, Women's World Cup was played in, in New Zealand. Jack, do you got a result there? Um, the Rugby women's rugby Union Women's Tournament was played and uh, I think the Engl- English beat the Kiwis in the final. Like, it was the other way around. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, Very yeah. close. <laughs> and it, was, it was a good tournament. And I've got to tell you, 
it, it women's looked, rugby is actually really good to watch. Yeah, it looked better than um, than a lot of the men's rugby looked, partly mm. because the game looked more like rugby used to look in the two thousands. A lot less interruptions, a lot less stop play. Yeah, um, I mean rugby is going to turn into American football, where it's going to take about four and a half hours for an eighty minute game. You know, um, because it's just so stop start. And of course, we've got uh, the rugby league. World Cup final, Australia v Samoa, Jack. Next Sunday, I think. Next Sunday, that's right. The Women's Rugby League World Cup semi-finals. That's Australia and Papua New Guinea uh, will play to see who plays in the final with uh, England and New Zealand. That's uh, that's a game that will be played uh, Tuesday the 15th of November. Um, <clears throat> both games will be England-New Zealand to see who plays in the final there. And the Wheelchair Rugby League, France will play England. Uh, and uh, uh, yes, uh, Australia v Samoa. It, well, it'll be exciting at the very start. Um, you, <laughs> the, the Samoans, the, the, they, I reckon they do the best haka. I don't think that's the right term for it, but the, but the, the best um, uh, the best build up um, um, in in, uh, in world sport. Good luck to them. Yeah, good luck to them. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how they get on. I'd expect Australia to win, but. You never know, and uh, and of course, again, just getting back briefly to uh, cricket. Uh, Glenn Maxwell has broken his fibia, um, very nasty. And at, I saw, at a friend's fiftieth birthday party. At a friend's now, the Cricket Australia website, Jack. I had a bit of a look. Uh, they were keen to mention that alcohol was not involved. Uh, they were apparently skylarking around on a tennis court. And uh, got entangled, and uh, Maxie went over and broke his leg. Uh, saw a little message uh, from him on his Instagram there, with his feet up. He was watching. Uh, he was watching his side. He, he captains the uh, the Melbourne, yeah, the the, the green ones. Um, <clears throat> Uh, not the red ones, the green ones. I think is his, his captain's them, and he's watching the women going going around uh, representing. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a shame because oh, they, had, they were going to send him on a test tour, and, and I st- I still think there's a test player hiding in there somewhere with him. Yeah, look, it's going to be a big loss to the ODIs. I mean, Australia play some. Uh, some ODI cricket against England this week too, Jack. So mm-hmm. um, he will be missing, obviously, from there. We'll probably miss most of the summer. You're not going to come back from a broken leg all that quickly. No. And uh, just to take us out, Jack. Yeah, I, did I send you this video? It's the best thing I've seen on video for months and months and months. Uh, Giselle Blunchen and Tom Brady. Tom Brady's the uh, – um, the quarterback for was for the New York Patriots, and and he shifted a couple of New years England, ago. New to England the, Patriots, yes, go yeah, on. Sorry, New, New England Patriots, and shifted down from the Pats down to Tampa Bay, um, and and won another Super Bowl with the, with Tampa Bay. And he's a bit. Um, he's, he's big. He's about your age, isn't he? No, I think he's forty. Right, okay. <laughs> rather well, than rather than sixty-seven, uh, but. Um, uh, they've been going through a messy divorce, and I, I think I always think it's a little bit unseemly um, uh, to, to poke fun at people who are going through a messy divorce. But people have resurrected on Twitter a video that they made, an, an advertisement they made for uh, um, about a, a year ago, and the advertisement was celebrating what a great relationship that they have uh, within their family and, and how many friends they both have, mm. and it was also promoting... FTX, the um, uh, the uh, cryptocurrency exchange. Oh, 
So yeah. I thought that was a twofer. The marriage is gone, and the and the product they were selling is gone as well. Have you seen Have you seen the Brady House, well, which is um, presumably up for grabs? She's, yeah, she's, well, there'll be houses, but the, but yeah, the main yeah, one, yeah, the main yeah. one, which I think is. Uh, Oh, Connecticut Way, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's, it's, it's about it's about as about the same size as the grandstand at Flemington. Visible, <laughs> visible from the lunar surface. Yeah, <laughs> really, yeah. really big. And look, I did see this, Jack uh, Marin Karimi Nasseri. Uh, he, he has died. He is the probably the uh, most uh, famous refugee in many ways, um, uh, uh, who who basically spent his life in airports. Well, he, uh, he he lived in Charles de Gaulle Airport from uh, 1988 to 2006, uh, and it wasn't so much that he was a refugee, he was stateless because um, the Iranians had kicked him out without a passport and no one else wanted to give him one. That's right, yeah. Um, um, and so he lived airside, that is, you know, beyond the security thing, uh, in the airport for, for some years. And this had a terrible effect on his mental health. Um, uh, but he was looked after by the airport staff who fed him and watered him and um, let him use their um, uh, showers and all that sort of stuff, you know. Um, uh, but he was released in the end and lived in a shelter in Paris. I think the Belgians gave him a refugee 18 cut. years living in an airport. Yep. I mean, yep. it's just unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, yeah. yeah. You, 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 if you're like me, you just can't get comfortable in airports. You know, the, the seats aren't big enough. Uh, you know, well, you'd want it, to be in the lounge, wouldn't well, you? Well, you know? <laughs> I don't think you'd be allowed in the Qantas lounge or no, anything like no, that. No, so. no. You, would, you wouldn't want to be in the Qantas lounge. In Australia, you want to be in the chairman's lounge. Jack, you know. Oh well, yeah. Look, that's only that's only for very important people, Jack. I wouldn't I wouldn't qualify for anything like that. Um, yeah, but yes. anyway, he sadly died of a heart attack at the at the airport. He had moved back there in the last few weeks. Um, uh, perhaps he knew he wasn't well, and he went back. Really, it's very sad, but it sounds like he was going back home to yep. the airport. Mm. And that was his home. Yeah, mm. it was just an extraordinary story. I, I think there's a movie been made about his life as well. Yeah, Tom uh, uh, Tom Hanks um, uh, made a movie that's loosely based on that on the story. But yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, well there we go. Now we have got through everything, Jack. Not quite everything that's occurred in the world. We've set aside a few topics for discussion next week. So thank you very much for joining uh, joining me here today and. Uh, throwing up your mea culpa and handing in your pundit's license over the midterms. Uh, oh, I haven't, hand, haven't handed anything back in. I'm, I'm uh, still, got you I'm on still the going. I'm along. afraid you're still on the, the red piece. Uh, yeah. You've moved up to the greens, but uh, uh, but uh, we're back on the reds now. But uh, look, uh, that's the polling. You just have to say, why? I just, just don't pay attention to it. Um, you, uh, you know, it's so checkered. Uh, in the US, the polling there, that you, you, you've got to wonder why the newspapers and the media even bother with them. Um, I barely, I've got to confess, I barely read the polls. What I do keep an eye on is how the political parties are spending their money because I find that a better guide. Well, they're obviously a bit concerned about New York, but it needn't have been. And, um, and uh, I think they're all pretty happy with it all. Yeah. But, look, thank you for your time today, Jack. Uh, and I just want to remind our listeners that if you've enjoyed what you're listening to or, indeed, you haven't, 
Um, give us a uh, give us a decent review on your podcast app, and if you've got any questions, queries, criticisms, or complaints, uh, drop us a line at the conditional release program at gmail.com. Or indeed, you can hit me up on Twitter as discussed. While I don't have a black tick, my DMs are always open. Thank you very much for your time today, listeners. We hope you enjoyed the show. See ya.